Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Talking Tolkien. Today, we're going to be discussing Chapter 9 of Book 1 of Return of the King, The Last Debate. Now, hopefully you're familiar with the show. We're going to start off with Katie, who is going to remind us what happened on this day in Middle-earth and educate us a little bit with the Elvish word of the day. Then we're going to pop over to Chase, who is sitting next to me. This is very, very yeah. unusual. Chase yeah. is he's actually sitting next to me. Um, he's going to remind us briefly of the events of last week's readings. Then we will discuss this week's readings once again, Chapter 9, The Last Debate. And at the end of the show, we'll quickly touch upon our favorites, both from this week's readings and the past week of our lives. I am John. I'm Katie. And I'm Chase. All right. So, Katie, today, do you know what today is? Today is August 4th. Yeah. What? August? I mean, I know we did this like two weeks ago. We're like, how is it July? And then two weeks before that, we're like, how is it June or whatever? But like, seriously. <laughs> I know. It's Take- August. Yeah. It is the it is the, the pits of summer. I tell you what. I made an important life decision like seven months ago. And ever since then, this year just bled away. <laughs> Like a stuck pig. Yeah. All right. Isn't that from the Two Towers movie? I'm going to bleed you like a stuck pig. I'm yeah, going to bleed uh, you like a stuck pig. Yeah. Is it, is it from Two Towers? Or from, yeah. Yeah. No, that's from, I think that's from Two Towers. Yeah. Isn't one of the orcs one who's the, like chasing Mary and Pippin? Yeah. Yeah yeah. 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 Cool. All right. Well, Katie, August 4th. Yes. Yeah, so August 4th. Um, not a whole lot. Uh, specifically happens on August 4th. Um, however, and again, not actually in Middle Earth, but worth worth to note, on July 29th in 1954, Fellowship of the Ring was actually published. So we should make Ooh. note of that. Uh, and pretty much this past week, and including right now, the company is in Mirkwood. And again, we're back to The Hobbit. Uh, the company is in Mirkwood. Um, in our current adventure, uh, last year, however, in the year 3018, Frodo is making plans to leave the Shire. And what a sad moment that was for all of us. <laughs> all right. Well, do you have a word for us today? I is it, do. The, is it the Elvish word for debate? Uh, I did not choose the Elvish word for debate. No. Uh, I chose a different word. So today's uh, Elvish word of the day is a Sindarin word. Uh, it's a noun, and the word is dos. Bruce? Dos? Bruce? Mm-hmm. Like T-H or B or V? What's the, what's the first T-H. Okay. Dos. Uh, and, <laughs> and it means fear. Oh. Yeah, that's oh, appropriate. Yeah, that makes sense why you would pick that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. All right. So before we hop into this chapter, uh, which is, once again, chapter nine, the last debate, Chase, what happened in chapter eight, the houses of healing? Well, there's something that's sticking with me. So a stuffed pig, is it like stuffed? Is it still alive and ate a lot? Or is it stuffed as in it was cooked and it was stuffed with stuff? I'm fairly no. certain it's stuck. stuck. Stuck pig. Yeah, I'm going to bleed you like a stuck pig. Like on pig. a spit? Like no, no, or no. Not if, you, if you stick somebody, then they will start to bleed. Like with so a you spear. you can bleed them dry. Right. Okay. Because yes. for some reason, my brain was going to, if that pig is bleeding, it's probably not done yet. Clearly, you've never had a... <laughs> Clearly, you've never had a rapid HIV test because they stick your finger and then they like milk the blood out of the tip of your finger. It is a very painful experience. And if you have diabetes, I feel so sorry yeah. for you. Yeah. I do not know how you could do that on a daily basis. But anyway, last week, um, uh, last week was the Houses of Healing. Yes. And at that point, to start it off with uh, 
Mary was wandering around. Oh, it wasn't me this time. Yeah, <laughs> I almost, I almost did it. Mary was wandering around after the battle, and then Pippin found him and led him off to the houses of healing, where Aemir and wait, Eowyn and Faramir mm-hmm. and Mary were resting, and they all were kind of had the same sickness, which came from the Nazgul. And um, back at the battleground. Aragorn and Aramir and the prince Aramir, um, Aramir, 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 Aramir. Well, it's your, I don't know who that is. <laughs> Chase is over here shipping Aowen and and uh, Faramir. Wait, hold on. A- now I'm confusing myself. A- A- who who's the dude from Rohan who's now king of Rohan? Aomer. Aomer. That's what I'm saying. That's yeah. what I said, right? No, you said Aramir, oh. which is like Aowen and Faramir. Okay. Aomer. Uh, no. Aragorn. Aomer. That guy. Okay, we're we're gonna we're gonna piss a lot of people off, but Chase, have you just say Eomer? Eomer? No. No. <laughs> I have been saying it perfectly fine for like a like years until now. But anyway, they're down at the battlefield trying to get into the gates. But Aragorn's like, no, I don't want to take my place as king just yet. So I will come in later on. But he wasn't telling that right then. But as as just a chieftain for the Rangers, the Texas Rangers. No, for the <laughs> Rangers of the Duodane. Um, and then... Uh, so so they, you, said, you said chieftain. Now I'm just thinking of the band. Oh, well, yeah. Uh, so they go up, they find out that... Uh, the steward is now passed to Faramir because Denethor... Faramir? Fa- it's been a long day. <laughs> Faramir. Faramir? Faramir. 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 God. That guy. All right. Faramir. Uh, I'm just going to have a so rough I'm, day I, tonight. I, I'm just going to go ahead and uh, kind of prophylactically resurrect the Perry the Hobbit drinking game. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. If it goes the way I think it is, everyone's going to die who does that anyway so everyone's sick and then aragorn shows up like hey guys i am here to do this to not be his king but to be just here as a ranger and so he asks for some ethelos ethelas ethelas <laughs> and no one knows what that is but eventually everyone someone finds some and with that he manages to resuscitate famir no, no. <laughs> Faramir. Faramir. Now it's like you're talking about Feanor. Every time know. it is a different. Know. <laughs> you know what? It, it's... Feanor would be glad. <laughs> yeah. Is, is it a full moon out? I is, have no it, idea. Is your favorite hobbit Celebrippin? Yes. <laughs> um, Eowyn and Mary are all resuscitated. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that for most part was it. Yeah, more or less. There was some other stuff in there too. I mean, there was this whole like prediction that Aragorn was the king based on his healing abilities. Yeah, like the weird prophecy stuff. Well, because right. Yorath, the uh, the kind of nurse made, was like, "Oh, if the king were truly here, then he would be able to heal people." And then Aragorn appears, and she's like, "Who are you?" And he's like, "I'm nobody." And then he heals people, and she's like, "Are you the king?" Mm. And he's like, "Well, yes and no, but Imrahil right now is in charge of the city." So, anyway. Chapter nine, the last debate. So basically we pick up from what had happened, but a little different perspective. So the houses of healing was kind of the night after the battle mm-hmm. and people are being healed. Um, 
clearly. Uh, so we pick up the next day, which is which brings us to a couple of characters we haven't actually had a lot of time dedicated to. In I can't remember the last time it's we it's Legolas and Gimli specifically, and they've been tagging along with Aragorn kind of for the entirety of Return of the King. Like I I really can't remember the last time that the book. Uh, it was Paths of the Dead. Well, I mean, they were in it, and we haven't really seen Aragorn since then either, except for when he kind of returns as king, you know, in the uh, two chapters ago. Uh, but yeah, I guess, but they haven't really, I don't know, I feel like they haven't been much as characters since the end of the Two Towers when, you know, they, uh... no, that's right. It is in this book where they pass Helm's Deep again, and, and Gimli's like, "Hey, Legolas, yes, you know, yes. can we go into the caves now? Isn't that isn't that in this chapter? Yeah, that was that was mm-hmm. in this book. Yeah. Okay, but it's the beginning yep. of Return of the King. So, but yeah, nonetheless, that was a very very wordy way to say it's been a while. Uh, so, what do the two of them want to do? Well, they want to go up to the Houses of Healing because they want to see Merry and Pippin, because right. as Gimli puts it, we uh, <laughs> like it's very it's, hard it's, to find y'all. Well, yeah. Yes. Well, Gimli basically says, you know, it's good to know that they're alive, so that we know that all of our troubles weren't wasted. <laughs> yeah, and so it says that as 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 Legolas and Gimli were walking through Minas Tirith, people were kind of marveling at them mm-hmm. because you they're know, an odd couple. They are because it says that Legolas is more fair than man, whereas Gimli stalked beside him, stroking his beard and staring about. Well, and I, I really, I really do love this though because you know Legolas is very cheerful and he's kind of he's he's singing, and meanwhile Gimli is like scrutinizing the city and basically saying that he will offer improvements to Aragorn should he come here. And uh, Legolas kind of does add to that though too, but because he he says that you know the the city is devoid of of any great gardens. It says it needs more gardens and singing birds. Uh, and Gimli's and, like, we need to get some dwarves over here to fix up this masonry. Right, right. So both of them have improvements to offer the Lord Aragorn should he come to the city, which I think is just a nice little touch there. Yeah. Um, so they get, as they're walking, they like run into Imrahil and they're like, oh, yo, you need to go to Aragorn's tent. Mithrandir's already there. People are figuring out what's going on. However, we just want to see our friends. So. Yeah. Uh, and. Imrahil, meanwhile, uh, is going to leave them uh, because Aragorn wants a meeting of the captains outside the city. So, uh, and then and then we have this great little moment where Legolas kind of commends Imrahil, which I think you know we we have all seen Imrahil in a great light as from the moment that we've met him. Um, and he, but the remark that he has is is really telling, I think, because he kind of says you know that. You know, if, if Gondor in its time of decay now has such a great leader, then in its time of splendor, it must have been truly great. So that's that says a lot about the character of Imrahil through Legolas' eyes. And then after Imrahil leaves, they're, they kind of start talking again about how like, oh, this place is good, but, you know, can you some improvements? And then Legolas says, because Gimli is the one who's like, oh, well, they're like man is like summer but then a drought comes and legolas says yet seldom do they fail of their seed and that will lie in the dust and rot to spring up again in times and places unlooked for the deeds of men will outlast us gimli so coming from uh, legolas that's like quite the comment you know but i feel i actually had this realization when when reading this moment uh 
that, you know, clearly the elves have been established as being kind of not in decline, but just rather they're like they're, they're terminal. They're like ending their presence in Middle Earth. You know, they're, they know their time is, is, is passed and the elves are withdrawing. Mm-hmm. Um, but even like when you look at the Silmarillion, you know, which is the history of the elves, uh, they are never really about growth. It's about stasis. You know, like, yeah, you're right. I never really put it together like that. Yeah. I mean, we have the only real elven growth that we see is, is, you know, Gondolin and then look what happens to Gondolin. Mm -hmm. Uh, But other than that, it's just like Rivendell and Lorien. And that's basically the, you know, the two bastions of elf, elvendom. I mean, obviously Legolas from Mirkwood, but still like the way that we see elves is all about this kind of stasis. And it's the same about the dwarves too. You know, we never really see the dwarves growing. Uh, The Hobbit is all about the dwarves and they're just trying to kind of like re reclaim the mountain. They're not even really expanding. They're just kind of filling what was, but in this moment, I kind of got this, uh, you know, Legolas saying men will outlast us kind of like men grow, men fill in the gaps and men will always, you know, men, men will fail, but there's kind of this inexhaustible desire uh, from mankind that doesn't really exist in 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 elvendom or uh, dwarfdom. I, I would a- ask, where does that come from? Does it come from the fact that they live so long, but the dwarves don't live nearly as long as the elves do? They do live a long time, but is this somehow like Tolkien throwing in some narrative element about how? living so long can cause this sort of stasis well i mean if you look at it i feel like we've discussed this before we have and i mean the elves don't really need development because the elves are in perfect harmony with nature yes you know it's that comment from i think it was fellowship of the ring where it's like i don't know what you say or i don't know what you mean when you say magic because this to me is just my kind of connection right um you know, man doesn't have that one. And two, Iluvatar's gift to mankind was mortality, which is kind of, you know, presented as this way of creating the desire to experience and live. And I think there's a, a, a great comment on that later in this chapter that we can relate back to. Yeah, but enough on, on, on that moment. So Legolas and Gimli get up to the Houses of Healing and uh, see Mary and Pippin. And in the background, the... Legolas sees some seagulls that are flying far inland. And this makes him so excited. Yeah. And we find out that Legolas only recently saw seagulls for the first time. So finally, like something about the natural world that Legolas has no experience with. And it is the sea. And uh, in this way, we are kind of introduced to a flashback of what happened that brought Legolas, Gimli, Aragorn, the Dunedain, and the ships to to uh, Gondor. Um but before this happens, just one one comment. Uh, Legolas does make note of the fact that the uh, you know the elves are kind of leaving and going to the havens and, and et cetera. And Mary says, "You must not go to the havens, Legolas. There will always be some folk, bigger, little, and even a few wise dwarves like Gimli who need you. At least I hope so." So anyway. yeah, and it's I uh, you know it's it's these these gulls that Legolas sees that remind him specifically of the calling of the sea and yeah he notes that he's never seen it but he knows that you know and and he voices that that his 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 people feel this intense calling of the sea and it you know it gives 
have a very a, a kind a sort of melancholy that um, you know makes him think that there's there's really not much to stay in Middle Earth. And all of a sudden, Legolas realized his favorite album is The Crane Wife by the Decemberists. <laughs> <laughs> a deep cut. Uh, uh, I was about to note that my first when I was first reading this, I was thinking, well, when I read this, uh, I was thinking about how, you know, my first thought was, he's so old, shouldn't he have gotten to see the sea once? But I remember my grandmother was like 80-something years old, and she never saw the sea until she came to New York City with my mom and my sister several years ago and saw the sea out by um, lower Manhattan. And that was the first time she ever saw the sea. That's actually not even the sea. That's up. Uh, that's just upper Bay. That's just the closest she ever got, but that's the closest she ever got. Yeah. Cause she was always living in Arkansas. All right. So, um, then we flash back to what happened after they left the paths of the dead. Yeah, because, because the, Pip- the hobbits, the hobbits ask, they want to know about their strange journey with Strider, which of course we know to be the paths of the dead. And well, it even says Pippin was like, "Oh, I heard Aragorn mention that, but I, I didn't know what he meant." Yeah, and uh, we come to this very uh, intriguing bit that I want to I want to comment on this idea as a whole. But, uh, but first, let's dig into the actual story we get. But basically, um, Gimli flat out refuses to talk about this experience. He says that he would rather have this stay in the darkness of his memory. Uh, but Legolas is willing to describe it. So um, remember that statement because I want to come back to it. Uh, so then we get basically the story of how they came through the paths of the dead uh, through the words of Legolas. And, um, you know, this is interesting. I'll note, you know, I, I, again, I don't want to comment on it until we get through most of the story, but that, uh, this is interesting because we're getting this story from the perspective of someone else and not from the narrator. So we're not seeing it firsthand. We're hearing about it secondhand. Uh, so yeah, Legolas tells us that Aragorn leads the company and this army of the dead that he's gathered uh, to the River Anduin, and um, there's this great bit where he kind of comments on the might of the Shadow Host, the the army of the dead, and he says, "Silent they were, but there was a gleam in their eyes." And also, I really like how he talks about the command that Aragorn had over them. Uh, because you know, like like some of them were on horses and some of them were just striding, and uh, and you know they looked, they just seemed very powerful in some way. Uh, but that you know, at Aragorn's command, they would fall back. They wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't pat overpass him. And then so Legolas has this great comment about Aragorn as a leader once again, I think, and says, even the shades of men are obedient to his will. I thought they may serve his needs yet. Um, so again, I, it's just another kind of view that we get of Aragorn as a leader. Um, and even this host of the undead will follow him. And yeah, so kind of the last time we saw them, you know, was after the paths of the dead where he makes them, he makes he being Aragorn and them being the dead swear an oath at that stone. And, uh, then they were kind of like marching through the valley, the field, whatever, the countryside, and people were afraid of them because he came with the, the you know, the army of the dead. 
Uh, and that's really the last we saw them. Well, as it turns out, what happens is they go to the staging ground where the Haradrim are, and uh, you know these are where the ships are gathered, and you know the Dunedain are with them, and they've gathered some some forces, but they're not a big army, and so they get to the Haradrim, and basically the Haradrim look at them and just start laughing because they're like, "This is this is what we got to contend with." Okay, whatever. <laughs> And then it says, Aragorn halted and cried with a great voice, now come by the black stone I call you. So the black stone, obviously that orb stone that, that he, you know, this word, the Othon. Yeah. And then just out of nowhere, uh, the ghosts, well, not the spirits, the shadow host mm -hmm. uh, that had hung back at last came like a gray tide. And then at this point, er uh, Legolas says, they had swords. I don't know if they needed swords because they were so <laughs> right. terrifying that the most of the Haradrim just jumped off of the boat and drowned. And that is what, again, so that word, the word I chose, fear, again, that's an important point that I want to talk about in a few, just a few moments. But yeah, uh, again, they didn't need weapons, even though, so this shadow host, some of them did have weapons, but their weapon was fear and terror and these sailors would just throw themselves overboard and um legolas has another comment here that is just so on point and wonderful uh and he says strange and wonderful i thought it that the designs of mordor should be overthrown by such wraiths of fear and darkness with its own weapons was it worsted so I just that's so beautiful. Remember how a couple chapters ago I said that it was poetic that Aragorn shows up in the enemy's ships and then unfurls his banner, you know, at Gondor. It's even more poetic because the way that he commandeers these ships is, you know, so not only does he use the enemy's ships against the enemy, he used the enemy's tactics because what have been the the most successful ta tactics of the enemy? It's been fear and despair. Uh, and so here we have our hero kind of turning this on its end and using it to overthrow the, the Corsairs. And, and what's really interesting about this, you know, as you're saying, is so much of this is, book has been about knowing who to trust and who to call upon for assistance. Mm -hmm. And so in this situation, you know, um, it's basically Aragorn was asked who you're going to call. And his response was ghost army. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yes. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you killed, you killed Katie. Um, yes. And then immediately after this, uh, Legolas says, in that hour, I looked on Aragorn and thought how great and terrible a lord he might have become in the strength of his will had he taken the ring to himself. Not for naught does Mordor fear him. But nobler is his spirit than the understanding of Sauron. For is he not of the children of Luthien? Never shall that line fail, though the years may lengthen beyond count. Yeah, that, that's, so that's fantastic as well. A few things I like about this. One, when Legolas says, you know, Aragorn could be a great and terrible lord, lord is capitalized. Yep. So obviously, like, this isn't hermeneutics. We're not talking about the Bible here. But this, like, reference to, like, 
I don't know. I, I just saw that and I read that as implying a certain um, immortality, you know, like Legolas. I mean, Aragorn could use this to become more than he is. Um, yes. In the same way that we've seen before that, you know, Galadriel w- would not be able to, to take the ring because of what she would become. Gandalf would not be able to take the ring because of what he would become. Similarly, Aragorn. No. Um, yeah. And, and so, you know, whenever you refer to God and, you know, any Christian writing, you always capitalize the pronouns, uh, capitalize Lord. And so I, I, it's like in taking the ring, Aragorn would have been kind of unhumanized. Well, note also that ring is capitalized. Yes. Specifically, you want to know what ring it is. <laughs> you know exactly what the ring we're talking about. Is it uh, the ring, 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 Something the air here. No, so, okay, so for the uninitiated, that is a track from the Slumdog Millionaire soundtrack, which randomly came into my head this afternoon, and I, like, leaned over to my, the person who's just next to me at work, and just, like, kind of sang that for a second, and then two minutes later, I looked at my Slack, and I had a notification from somebody who sits, like, across the office, and she was like, I love Slumdog Millionaire. That's a great soundtrack. And then we spent the rest of the day sending each other our favorite soundtrack uh clips like video anyway but anyway aragorn rather than becoming some terrible lord yes instead uh, has the nobility to lead through coalition and um inspiration but what i also liked about this chapter is you know he says sauron is going to fall but aragorn is he not of the line of luthien they do not fall uh so chase baron luthien what happens that sounds so familiar, but I don't remember. It what makes what makes Baron so special? Uh, Baron was a mere man who was able to sneak in. Oh yes, and and uh, steal the Silmarils. What? Just one. Just, Just one. one. Mm-hmm. But from the brow of Morgoth himself. Yes, I definitely remember that story. That was a great story, mm-hmm. right? Jeez, it's it's also uh. it's also just important. You can you can kind of mirror the story of Baron and Luthien within the Lord of the Rings a little bit. It's almost like, it's almost like an, it, but it's like an, like a, a reversal or an inverse or something like that, because instead of trying to take something away, they're trying to, but well, I mean, I mean, in a way, I mean, casting something out is like destroying, like that is like taking something away. So, I mean, well, and I mean, there is there. Yeah. Yeah. Re- regardless, Baron, Baron, a mere man is the only creature, the only thing that was able to stand up to Morgoth and not, you know, lose an arm and be chained up and blah, 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 yeah, blah oh, yeah. tortured. Like Baron alone was able to reach and then escape Morgoth. And so his descendant Aragorn uh, can, can defy Sauron. Right. And then Luthien um, was the daughter of Amaya. I don't remember. Oh my <sighs> Luthien was well, half Maya, half elf. Is yeah, that the? Yeah, she was extremely special, like way more special than he was, Ugh, like way I, more special than Baron was. I definitely remember that part of it. But it has been so long. But you know, oddly enough, that was like my favorite story. She from is the daughter of Thingol and Milion. Yeah. Okay. There we go. So yes, here we have it. Basically, who was the only? Th- it's just it's more um 
exegetical analysis comparing this text to the Silmarillion. Anyway, so things keep going on. The Aragorn. They, they Arag take over the ships. Mm -hmm. And Aragorn keeps to his word and releases the the shadow host from their curse and, and sends uh, them away. And Legolas describes this as watching a sudden fog dispersed by the wind. Yeah. I almost imagine it happening extremely quickly. Because you ever have those moments where you're looking at fog, then all of a sudden it's just gone, and you didn't even notice that it was just dissipating? Like, that's what my brain went to. It's just, it, happens, it just happens really fast. Well, like, yeah. they were there, and then... Yeah. Well, and, and uh, Gimli likens it to waking up from a dream as well. Yes. That could make sense, especially how weird they look. And then they... So there were a lot of slaves on the ship. They freed the slaves, but it says that slaves are mostly captured free men of Gondor anyway. So now, rather than slaves being forced to row, it's free men who are rowing with uh, all the might and courage they can muster to save their home. Um, right. So they are aggressively rowing upstream and not getting far. And Aragorn is saying, like, Minas Tirith is burning. We have to hurry. But... One thing happens as they travel through the country, all of the people who were previously afraid of them because they had a ghost army are like, oh, you released the ghost army. I like you now. <laughs> uh, and and two, We took care of two birds with one stone. And, and joined them. Yes. So as they, uh, uh, as they are making their way up, up river, uh, some old men basically who have knowledge of the sea predict that the wind will change and then the wind changes and then what we know happens. And basically, they get there and, you know. Uh, so there's, yeah, they, 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 this is where we meet up with where we've previously seen firsthand. Um, and now, next we have this kind of uh, little comment about this story uh, and about, you know, the great deeds and, and, and stuff. Like Gimli makes a comment and Legolas uh, responds and uh, says that uh, great deed was the riding of the paths of the dead and great it shall remain though none be left in Gondor to sing of it in the days that are to come and this just makes me it, it this, this kind of pulls home my point that I wanted to bring up with this this story um, again we get this telling of the story of their riding through the paths of the dead not firsthand but secondhand through Legolas telling it and so what this is doing is it's highlighting the importance of oral history. Mm -hmm. Yes. And there's this comment, you know, that that this story may fade if it's not told. And uh, so it's, it's again, hi highlighting uh, how important it was uh, to have to have storytelling. And to have that history continued, and and we've seen that through you know the elves and well pretty much every, you know every significant race that we've come up with within Middle Earth has had great legends and stories that are passed down these songs that we have you know um, so this is like just sort of a little bit subtler but a, another way to bring that home which I really um, appreciate so we have this. Uh, example of oral history but then we also have an, a, a kind of a commentary on it because again Legolas is willing to tell this story Gimli is not um, so Gimli's refusal to talk about what happens in the past of the dead is uh, give us, giving us an example of how history can die when it's not passed down when it's not remembered and uh, oral, oral history I'm, I'm meaning 
Um, and Legolas may or may not even stick around, really. So yes, you're. That's true. That and there were so few people to witness this. Like unlike Mary and Eowyn. Good job. Oh, sorry, I paused right there just to be like, oh, um, killing the Witch King. I imagine a lot of people saw that. Yeah. And are probably already talking about that. And then a lot of people saw Theoden get killed and are talking about that. But only a few people saw Denethor get killed. And so it's just more just like he died. Yeah. Well, and so basically Legolas looks at Gimli and says, let's talk about the paths of the dead. It's got to get out of your head. Let's talk about it was scary, very hairy. I saw that coming and I couldn't stop it. I thought thought you were going to make some great comment. No. uh, With me, you never know. It could be the most insightful thing you've ever heard. It could be the most random deep cut trivia you've ever heard. Or it could be a really low hanging pun slash musical parody. Just roll the John sided dice. That's how it goes. So then they come to the end of the story and they're basically just talking with Mary and Pippin wondering what's going to come because they really don't know because the council is going on right now. But both Legolas and Gimli say they know the war is not over yet and they will die in the service and defense and aid of their friend Aragorn, but they hope they survive. Yeah, yeah the understanding that the Battle of Minas Tirith was just a battle. Yeah. And they still have this war. And also, the war itself is, I, as will be reiterated here pretty soon, is mostly just a distraction. Mm-hmm. And and this has been discussed previously uh, in this book about how like everything that they're doing comes with this probably... I don't, I don't want to use the existential weight to it, but like this understanding that the the real show is happening with Frodo and Sam. Hopefully they're still alive somewhere. Yeah, because what happens after this is really unusual, actually, for the narrative structure of Return of the King, because halfway through this chapter, we then have this hard break, and we instead follow Imrahil as he goes to the tent. Mm-hmm. And basically he gets there, and it's Aragorn and Imrahil and Eomer and uh, Mithrandir, uh, Gandalf talking. And Eladon and, and Elra here. Oh, yes. yes. Um, figuring out what's what's going to happen. And so Gandalf is like, well, Denethor was mad and corrupted by the Palantir, but the Palantir don't really lie. So Sau- Sauron could kind of manipulate the information. He could suggest an interpretation. But if Denethor saw great power, then great power exists. Right. And we need to be aware of this. Um, and... So I love this. Gandalf says, you only have a choice of evils and prudence would counsel you to strengthen such strong places as you have. So basically stay in Minas Tirith, get all the force you can and wait it out. And Imrahil is like, well, doesn't, does that not make us like just children on sandcastles when the tide is flowing? And Gandalf says, that is not, well, basically Gandalf says like, that's, this is what prudence would dictate. But then in the true Gandalfian moment, he says, I do not counsel prudence. I said victory could not be achieved by arms, but what we need to do is still use our force. Um, and he then kind of says to Aragorn, you looked in the Palantir, didn't you? And Aragorn's like, yes. So You revealed then, yourself too. Yeah. Well, yes. So then it's established that what we know is 
we we know that Sauron knows that Aragorn has returned. And right. now we know that Sauron has seen this grave defeat. Uh, Gandalf also says that he saw the eight remaining Nazgul kind of flying over the city and scoping things out. So what what the situation is, is that Ar- uh, Sauron is mad. Sauron wants Aragorn. Sauron wants Gandalf. Um, he's And... He's also we, doubtful and fearful, though, is the most important bit. Yes. And and we need to make sure that Sauron does not realize what's going on. And we he wants us, so let's use us as bait. Um, and people obviously have problems with this. Uh, it's established that there's an, another army just kind of weighing in late that hasn't... Laying in wait, not weighing in late. Weighing in late is when you uh, get to the polls right after the close. Yeah. So <laughs> laying basically is what they're doing. <laughs> yes. So the plan is Aragorn is going to go, but he's not going to make anybody else go. And then Elrohir uh, El and Elwing are like, well, we came with a mission. We're going to go with you. And Imrahil is like, as far as I'm concerned, Aragorn, you are my king, even if you're not claiming it yet. And then, very weirdly, he's like, even though you're my king, I'm still the steward of Gondor now, or I still have the power, hold the power of the steward of Gondor. So let's make sure that the city is protected. And then Eomer is like, well, Aragorn came to me in my hour of need, so of course I'm going to come to him in his hour of need. So basically, everybody is going to go with Aragorn. They round up an army of 7,000. Um, there are men who are kind of still coming to Minas Tirith that Aragorn kind of sent on his way. And so they're leaving a fortification at Minas Tirith that it says actually going to be stronger than the city was during or before the first battle. Um, and then taking 6,000 people on foot and 1,000 men on horse. Uh, and then sending kind of the rest of the Rahiram to the, uh, the army that's waiting kind of northwest of the city. So, Yes. Oh, just something that you kind of skipped over that I really wanted to make note of, though. Um, so kind of before all this, so, you know, Eric, Gandalf basically tells them, you, you know, you were saying that, you know, victory for for our good guys here does not lie in arms. Uh, it lies in, you know, as you've kind of said, in deception and in, in misguiding. Um, so what their aim is, is to distract the eye, the, the eye of Sauron for as long as possible and um, to hopefully give time to Frodo. And, uh, you know, Gandalf says there's basically two outcomes. You know, Sauron could seize the ring and then all hope would be lost. But if the ring is destroyed, Sauron will fall. And so will everything that has been made with it with that power. Um, And uh, there's this great... Including the foundation of Barad-dûr itself. Right. Yeah. Including Barad-dûr itself. And... He follows this up with this comment that really, I hope, should have kind of rung a bell for you and uh, stuck out to you a bit. And Gandalf says, uh, um, so he's basically saying, you know, we're hoping to destroy this evil. And he says, other evils there are that may come for Sauron himself, uh, for Sauron is himself but a servant or emissary. Yet it is not our part to master all the tides of the world, but to do what is in us for the succor of those years wherein we are set, uprooting the evil in the fields that we know, so that those who live after may have earth clean, uh, clean earth to till. What weather they shall have is not ours to rule. So, hopefully this should ring a bell for you way back to Fellowship of the Ring, 
Um, one of my favorite bits of Gandalf wisdom when Frodo asks, you know, why did, why me? Why is this happening to me? And, you know, I wish the ring had never come to me. And Gandalf says, you know, so do all who see such things to pass, but it is not ours to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. And this is like a perfect, beautiful echo of that because again, he's, you know, we don't know what, you know, there are greater evils out there. This is the evil we're facing now. Um, and what we have to do is what we can do to overcome this now and to preserve what we have now for what is to come in the future. I just, <laughs> it's kind of a, you know, kind of a, um, a full circle Gandalf wisdom moment. It is almost like this, this understanding that win or lose Everything's going to change. A new age is going to come to pass. It's just who has, who is going to claim stake in it. Right. Right. <laughs> and then basically the end of this chapter is, uh, they're like, okay, we're doing this. And it says Aragorn drew Andriel and held it glittering in the sun. You shall not be sheathed again until the last battle is fought. Which again, you know, like, I, I've said this about our other leaders, you know, Theoden, of course, I, you know, you, you we would all follow Theoden. Theoden uh, was, was like rallying the troops. Aragorn, similarly, when Aragorn does these things, does Aragorn things, I don't know how else to describe it, but when Aragorn does, Aragorn does things, an Aragorn yeah, that makes thing, sense. yeah, I'm like, yes, I will follow Aragorn. And so do, uh, you know, the rest, you know, Eomer, you know, I will fight with, with, with you and Imrahil, I will follow you. Yeah. Love it. So, uh, in actually in Romance languages, uh, to do an Aragorn is is conjugated like Aragornare. That's Italian and Spanish. It's Aragornar. I don't know French, Katie. Do you want to pitch in here? I'm sorry. What what was the word? To do an Aragorn. We're I'm I'm just appending the. Oh, to do uh, an Aragorn? The, the verb suffix to Aragorn's name in various languages. Oh, so yeah. Well, it's a very French, funny joke. You'll, you'll get it when you listen to the... In French, we would say Aragorn. <laughs> yeah. That's All right. better. That's better. <laughs> I like uh, that one a lot. To Aragorn. <laughs> yes. Oh, Aragorn, my Aragorn. You done Aragorn. <laughs> oh, Aragornato, mm-hmm. as we would say. That's the, that is the past uh, perfect... Sorry, no, the past participle in Italian uh, for first person. Anyway, my favorite part is this really little, little tiny moment, which happens right before they leave. Because um, Imrahil, I like I like how Imrahil basically says, Aragorn is the king of Gondor, and since I am a prince like within Gondor, then he is my king. However, I have temporal, temporal authority over him, so blah, blah, blah. I just like that bit. Um, but basically, Imrahil says, if we're leaving the city, you know, who will repair the gate? And Aragorn says, the, the dwarves of the Lonely Mountain will, will rebuild the gate, but men can hold the gate in the interim because, you know, the gate is going to be destroyed anyway. Basically, we need men to defend the city regardless. So there will be men. I don't know. I just, I, li- I liked, he says, men are better than gates and no gate will endure against our enemy if men desert it. I just, I like that exchange. I liked that he's like thinking about the future, but also like the fact that we have to just do something right now. I don't know. He's been a lot of plates. Also the fact that 
in the first half of the chapter, Gimli was like, man, dwarves could really do a number for this city. And then Aragorn at the end of the chapter, without having spoken to Gimli, is like, man, dwarves could really do a number for this city. <laughs> we could get some dwarves to help us out here. <laughs> I like I like that bit so much because it's just this wonderful sense of globalization that's going to have to happen with Middle Earth in the future. How amazing would it be if trading spaces existed in Middle Earth? Yeah, that was a deep cut to the mid 2000s. I well, my brain went to the Eddie Murphy Dan Aykroyd mo- movie Trading Places because I always mix those up. <laughs> well, well, I mean, come on, Jonathan Nargathrond. Uh, so is Ty Pennington a dwarf? I feel like he's too attractive to be a dwarf. Ty Pennington was the Extreme Makeover Home Edition dude. He yeah. got his start as the. Carpenter, um, Carpenter oh, on that, Trading Spaces. That's right. Yeah. It's been ten years since I've watched Trading Spaces. So that part <laughs> of my brain is a bunch of cogs and hamsters all coming back into place. <laughs> all right, but let's focus on the text. Any other favorite moments? Mine was the reference to other evils that Katie picked out. I wanted to read that part, but she jumped the gun on me. Uh, just because my imagination kind of fired on that one as what tends to happen with any references to some unknown thing that might exist in some unknown place. that That's what that did for me, is just the, the idea that we have not seen the absolute horrors that Mordor could actually possibly hold. So basically your favorite moment of the chapter is the concept of an existential crisis? Yeah. That is the most Chase thing yeah. I've ever heard. <laughs> I mean, a little, a little, a little background for you listeners. When Chase and I saw Toy Story three together, uh, yeah. we then had like a two-hour-long conversation about existential death. Uh huh. Yes. Yeah. About how they go from heaven and to hell, and eventually find a place better than both in the middle. I think uh, no, but I no, I I totally get it though. Yeah. Uh, every now and then, you just have to lay down on the floor and have an existential crisis, and uh, yeah. I think we had a little one in the text there. <laughs> I had a weekend long one, but whatever. <laughs> um, mine that was that was definitely one of my favorite moments of the text, uh, particularly because it has such a great echoing of you know like what doing what we can with the time that is given to us. Um, but I also think just uh, when Legolas commented about uh, kind of the the strange and wonderful that it was that Aragorn used um, kind of the tactics of Mordor against itself. Um, I, I just, again, that's such a like poetic and, and, and striking moment, you know, especially in conjunction with that whole image of these, you know, the black ships, the course of the Corsairs of Umbar uh, arriving at, Minas Tirith and everyone's like oh no we're doomed but then you know Aragorn unfurls the banner and this is like just even a layer deeper within that that just makes it's such a delicious point of the text for me also how curious is it the fear of those who are already dead would drive people to death yes it's like the fear of death itself premeditates their death yes another thing to note on using the tools of the enemy back against them we had Aragorn using fear. I'm sorry, you, you said you said tool, and I started thinking about Ty Pennington using <laughs> <God>. using a saw. <laughs> You're on a one track mind right now. Um, but also, again, the their ultimate plan is not in strength of arms, but 
in Deception, another tool of Sauron, mm-hmm. to be noted in there as well. Right. And yeah, Deception, but it's so it's so great because the motivation of it is what, you know, what's d- determining the use. So yeah, yeah. I just, uh, yeah, I, the whole thing is beautiful. I love any story where figures like enemies do something and then it, the by the end of the story gets repeated back at them but in a different context i just right i love that stuff right well any other uh comments on the text uh no i think i got everything i wanted to uh, say. Uh, uh, all right well i'm gonna i'm gonna jump the gun here and uh reference something I mentioned earlier at the very beginning of the episode. Um, so my favorite part of the week is the fact that this morning I leave my apartment and the second I get on the train, I realize, oh, crap, we're recording tonight and I did mm-hmm. not bring my book with me. So then I text Chase and I'm like, hey, Chase, now that you're in New York City <laughs> and you're staying at my apartment, could you pick up my book and uh, drop it off when you come downtown? <laughs> so uh, everybody, Chase is now in New York. He's sitting 30 feet to my left. And I was like, you got it. Yeah. I didn't do it immediately. I, 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 I worked out and did some other stuff first. Oh, it was actually perfect because you came right as my lunch break was happening. Yeah, that's what, that was the plan. And was I was by along. myself in Fayetteville. <laughs> but this your, episode, your favorite part of the week was uh, Chase. <laughs> <laughs> My, my favorite part of the week was making my was forcing my newly unemployed friend who's sleeping on my floor to do errands for me. <laughs> I got a lot of time. I filled my time today. Because one of those things is going to definitely be my favorite thing of the week. In other news, I finally reached peak New York City fridge, which is like a bottle of water and a bottle of gin. And Chase had to <laughs> I un- that. undo that by buying groceries and putting them in the fridge. So... <laughs> If you guys are new to me and Chase as a friendship, you are going to enjoy the hell of us on, on Twitter because <laughs> yeah. our primary method of communication on as roommates is on Twitter. Not DMing, just like adding each other like, yo, I bought some shit. Yep. Some shit. shit, shit, shit. What is that thing It's called? already happened tonight. Cel- it's already cereal. happened tonight. Celery. Celery. Not cereal. I don't know why I couldn't say that. So yes. Anyway, enough of me blathering on. Any other favorites? Uh, actually okay one more one more i saw star trek beyond and i'm not gonna say that it's my favorite but i will have a few choice words to say in that it does not feel unfaithful to star trek in the way that into darkness so so was and i even think that the 2009 reboot is is fairly unfaithful to star trek so it was nice that it kind of felt like a trek movie but most Trek movies are bad. Nemesis is bad. Insurrection is bad. Final Frontier is bad. And this movie was bad, but it was bad in a way that Trek movies are bad. So, like, I'm happy that at least it's living up to the honest canon of, of uh, Trek failures rather than the, than the <laughs> dishonest canon of, uh, of uh, you know, Trek uh, drag. So I would probably like it because I have a soft spot for Final Frontier like a crazy person. You're, you know, you're going to like this movie. Oh, okay. Most of my big issues with it are like plot holes and technical yeah. issues. Not spoiling much. Like in these movies, they go out of their way to show how good Scotty is with using a transporter. I mean, you know, oh, in, yeah, in yeah, Into yeah, Darkness, yeah, yeah, yeah. he freaking transported someone like to Klingon. Like that doesn't happen. 
And, but then there are several moments in Into Darkness where they conveniently forget the fact that Scotty is a magician with a transporter and manufacture unnecessary set pieces when literally Scotty could just beam something away. That's funny since, since Simon Pegg wrote it. I know. I that's that's, okay, that's, that's what makes me so annoyed about this is Simon Pegg wrote it. Scotty wrote it. And yet his character is not utilized. Maybe he was trying to like tone himself. I don't know. I, I haven't seen the movie yet, but I've been listening to the soundtrack all weekend. And I really like it. I like it like how I like the Voyage Home soundtrack. It's got this weird floaty quality to it that's more in line with the earlier Star Trek movies. Well, so one, I actually really love the Star Trek, the soundtrack because one of my favorite things of the 2009 movie is Giacchino's kind of new theme. Yeah. And uh, at the end of this movie, they blended it with the TOS theme in a way that really made me emotional. There, there are some emotional beats in Star Trek Beyond that really pay off and actually felt earned. This is like preview preview for coming a trip. Well, no, never mind. I'm not even going to reference that right now. I don't, even, I don't even talk about that. All right. Anyway, you go ahead, Katie. Yeah, sorry, I kind of steamrolled you. <laughs> um, my favorite thing. So I haven't I haven't seen track yet, but uh, my favorite thing from the week is something else that I've been watching. Uh, I started watching Stranger Things on Netflix, and uh, I've I've only watched the first two episodes because I only want to watch it at night. Uh, first of all. And uh, also, like, you know, for me to be able to watch it at night means that I have to, like, have time. <laughs> but um, it's so good. It is so good. Like, I'm, I'm hooked on it and I want to watch it all the time. But again, I only want to watch it at night because I feel like that's appropriate. Uh, it's just the, the soundtrack is awesome. The characters are compelling. The story is compelling. I, I'm, like... I don't really have anything bad to say about it. I think it's great. See, this is where I just start to feel like an old person because over the past week I've seen nothing but like mention of the show on Twitter and I think they shouted out in Pop Culture Happy Hour and I like had not heard of it, did not see it coming, didn't even realize it was a thing until like three days of tweets had accumulated and like here I am. I still haven't finished Orange is the New Black season four. I haven't even started Difficult People yet. I haven't gotten through Lady Dynamite. I feel like such an old person. It went under the radar. I mean... It's 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 notorious for how difficult it is for me to watch a TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, I will put something off, but I watched the first trailer for Stranger Things and I hated it. I absolutely hated it. Like I was very vocal in how much I did not like the trailer. And then all my friends grabbed me and said, "Chase, you need to watch this because this show is so you. You don't even oh, you even know yet." And it's like, and I watched the first two episodes as well, and yeah, I I, I don't really necessarily like love it, but I really dig into it, and I really dig it there's a little movie called beyond the black rainbow that yep. no one has seen but i feel like that the sheen of that has been sprinkled all over this movie as well absolutely yeah no totally <laughs> all right chase anything from you okay so i didn't get to consume a whole lot of media this week besides a bunch of episodes of the giant bomb cast and um stranger things a little bit because i was moving everything out of my apartment i'm talking six years of accumulated stuff gotta go gotta go Gotta knock, go right now. Gotta go. Gotta, gotta go. Knock, gotta knock go. everything down to two suitcases, which are behind me right now, and a few things in my parents' storage room to move here so I can start culinary school in about a month. And some job hunting over the next month and stuff. But but my favorite thing of the week is for the first time, I got to go see my school. And I got to go see my campus. And I got to meet a woman who I've been talking to, uh, who's my advisor, who I've been talking to for like feels like a million years but for like eight months 
and she showed me the entire school and walked me through like what the program's going to be like and a lot of things are going to happen. And I was, this is going to sound weird, but I think it should make sense. I don't think I've been this excited for something in my entire life. You know, I know that exact feeling because I came to New York for grad school and uh-huh. now you're doing the same thing. I in just, fact, a couple of days ago on my Facebook Rewind was the first time I ever saw my school and posted a picture of it and how excited I was. Yeah. I was seeing like other students who were all roughly my same age. I thought everyone was going to be way younger than me, actually. Just working in kitchens and doing stuff and laughing with each other and stuff like that. I was just like, look, and I go and like... I, I think I'm home. I think I found it. I think I finally, after all these years of just kind of like floating around, I finally found the thing where I feel like I belong. And it was really like, I was very excited and moved. And I think even my advisor was like, kind of like overwhelmed by like how excited I probably jittery I was just because I, I want to start right now. I want to get to it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm very, 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 very excited. It was just, ugh. If you love food, this place was it was getting to me. I got so I got so Jones that I went I got I came back to the apartment and I went to the grocery store and I bought stuff and I made a stew. I don't know why I felt like I needed to make a stew, but I did. Yeah, because it's <laughs> ninety five degrees today, which is peak no, stew no, no, no. weather. Yeah. It's a summer stew, so it's meant for hot weather. Okay. It's a lighter stew. It's well, not like a, it's not like a usual type of comfort food stew. Our, a lighter stew is it made out of butane? <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, one last favorite thing that I just remembered is directly related to Chase moving out of an apartment in which he's lived for six years, which is a text I got on Monday from Chase that says, we got the deposit back. (laughs) Do you want me to Venmo you your half? (laughs) So thank you, John, from literally, we moved into this apartment in February of 2010, and I just got my half of the deposit back. Thank you, 20-year-old John, for the uh, money that I used to buy a very nice Negroni. How is it even possible that you got the deposit back for that place? I, I didn't steam the carpet and I didn't have enough time to steam the carpet. That's the only reason. <laughs> That's legitimately the only reason. They told me I cleaned that apartment from three in the morning to six in the morning the day before I left. <laughs> I was so tired and exhausted. And they went around going like, this might be the cleanest part we've ever seen here. And I'm like, well, my sl- sleep, lack of sleep out of mine cleaned it. So. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, it's it. I shouldn't be surprised because, you know, if you don't destroy an apartment, then you're going to get a deposit back. It's but true. it was just like six years. Like I, I just not even thought of that. It yeah, was beyond yeah, comprehension. Yeah. To, to to be fair, they're probably going to rip every, they're going to gut everything out of there and just restart it over with tile or something. So yeah whatever so anyway enough of that uh katie you want to play us out yes uh so once again before we leave i'd like to give our weekly or yeah weekly it's yeah week uh our weekly thank you to our patreon supporters thank you so much for uh sending us money our way it really does help us out uh to support our editing and equipment needs and uh to further our other goals that we have which you can find on our patreon uh, so thank you once again to My List Keeps Growing, uh, Ryan Hepler, Brian Osborne, Kevin Reynolds, Dana Victor, Jason Savage, Anna Dunlany, Xinying Fua, Kyle Thompson, Michael Smith, Mike Williams, Tariq, Ignatius Pendergraf, Devin Mann, Ariel Alm, Jacob Verma, Charlie, Adam Kahn, Ben Goldstein, Madison Roberts, Aaron Crawford, Benjamin John Macy, Avon McMaster, and Michael Laney. 
one of these days we're going to do a special episode where we just waterfall it while you read those names. <laughs> and then we're going to check into the hospital with alcohol poisoning because, oh my God, that is, that list is just. It's getting bigger. So. It's, yeah, it's, it's we fantastic. have just hit a, uh, a new level, uh, a new goal, $75. And we have some exciting things in the works. Uh, not quite ready to announce them, but follow us on Facebook or Twitter and you'll be the first to know when uh, these exciting announcements are excitingly announced. <laughs> so thank you once again, everybody, and join us next week for Chapter 10, The Black Gate Opens. Dun, dun, dun. And you know what? Chapter 10 is the last chapter of Book 1 of Return of the King. Oh, it's wow. True. That's right. Now, Chase, do you remember uh, how surprised you were to discover that uh, book that the, each each individual book has a name. Yes. Do you remember what is the name of this book? It was like War of the Ring or something like that. Yes. Yeah. And do you know what the name of the final book is? No, I have no idea. I honestly have no idea. All right. Well, I think you're really gonna like it. We're gonna hold that off till next week, right? Yep. Okay. I'm okay. leaving you with this teaser. <laughs> Cliffhanger. So. Cliffhanger is a 1993 action movie starring Steven Seagal. Not Steven Seagal. No, Sylvester Stallone. Thank you. It was another, it was Sibylline. It was John Lithgow that I really care about. Yeah, John Lithgow is the best part of it. John Lithgow is always the best villain. He's the best villain in my favorite movie of all time, Buckaroo Banzai. And he was a great King Lear when we saw him. In yeah, movie. he was. So anyway, I'm John. I'm Katie. And I'm Chase. And we will next see you week. <laughs> and also, if we if we were to drink that much, we would just have like an hour of me crying and talking about Wonder Woman. Yeah. <laughs> Later. Thank you for listening to Talking Tolkien. You can find us online at talkingtolkien.com and you can send us an email to the professor at talkingtolkien.com. We do our best to respond to each email, so please let us know about your thoughts, theories, and themes you'd like us to discuss in the show. We are also Talking Tolkien on Facebook and Twitter, and we love hearing from you. If you're not already a subscriber, you can find us on iTunes and Stitcher. We would particularly appreciate it if we would give us a rating on iTunes as it really helps us to show up in searches and reach a new audience. We also have a Patreon page where you can donate as little as $1 per month to help our podcast grow. Through your generous support, we've been able to purchase many new pieces of equipment, helping us bring you a better sounding, more professional podcast. Nothing makes us more excited than a new pledge. And we greatly appreciate all the support we've received so far. <laughs>